0: Uh, It's always fun for me walking in uh, here on Sunday mornings because I have no idea what was said before I came in the room. Uh, And so, for the first 10 minutes, I'm over in the other building. And um, so, if you haven't heard already, our heat is out in here right now. Um, And so, I apologize that it is so cold this morning. Um, There are space heaters kind of around the perimeter of the room if you get to where you're just too cold. Feel free to, like, slide a chair over and huddle around a heater if you need to. Jason's already taken advantage of it. Knock it out, but the column was in the way. Oh, the trials and tribulations of a fellowship hall, y'all. All All right. So, um, but seriously, if you get cold, uh, you won't hurt my feelings at all if I see you slide over to grab a little bit more heat than what you got. Uh, We'll get that worked on this week, find out what's going on, and, and hopefully be warm next Sunday. Uh, If not, we'll go buy a bunch more space heaters and we'll just make it work. We might just build a fire right in the middle of the room. I don't know. Uh, We'll see what happens. Uh, If you got a Bible with you this morning, let me encourage you to open it up to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to pick up in the middle of that chapter in verse 14. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. Uh, Over the last couple weeks, we've been talking through the idea of biblical stewardship. What does that look like to really steward things well? What is stewardship? Uh, And uh, we've got today and uh, next week that we will be kind of continuing in that topic of conversation. And then beginning in February, we'll be jumping into a series on discipleship and uh, walking through that together with our other two service times uh, all together. did want to share that uh, beginning January 25th, which is uh, uh, the last Wednesday in January, uh, there will be devotional guides available for you guys for the month of February uh, in both digital form on our website that you can download, but also paper copies that will be available here in the Welcome Center and the Vestibule in the Sanctuary. Uh, so you can grab uh, whichever copy you want to keep up with, And uh, but I do encourage you to walk through that with us and, and devote the month of February uh, to walking through that together as a church. All right, cool. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at a parable that Jesus taught. Uh, And it is probably a familiar Uh, parable to anyone who's been in church for any amount of time. It is the parable of the talents. It's the parable where a master gives some money to some servants and he goes away for a little while and then comes back to find out what they've done with this sum of money that he's left them with. Uh, But I want to start out this morning by noting two things before we jump into this too far. Uh, Number one, it's worth noting that this parable is not a parable about finances, okay? So yes, Jesus uses the topic of money uh, in this conversation, but it is not a parable directed at how we spend our money. Uh, In fact, if you were to look at the overall kind of flow of Scripture and what's happening before and after Matthew 25, Jesus is in the middle of a discussion about end times and God's judgment. Okay, And so it's not really this idea of, hey, did you spend your money wisely in your lifetime as much as it is, what did you do with the life that God gave you knowing that there is a judgment day that is coming? Okay? And so we got to be clear about that a little bit. We are going to talk a little bit about finances this morning, but we do need to understand that in general this parable is not actually a teaching on finances. It's a teaching on God's judgment and how we need to be prepared for it. Uh, therefore, it's also worth noting, second note to have in mind, uh, that when we think about true biblical stewardship, we're not just speaking about finances. We're talking about how we use our lives to prepare for Jesus' return. And so as we think about stewardship this morning, that's where we're going. It's like, how are we using every aspect of our lives, finances included, to prepare ourselves for that moment where one day we will very clearly stand before Jesus in judgment and he will look at us and say, I gave you X amount of years in this world. What did you do with it? Right? And so we've got to kind of look at that. Um, Years ago, in fact, uh, my dad... Uh, was in seminary, uh, and so it would have put me somewhere in the ballpark of like eight or nine years old, uh, and uh, back in like 1993 or 94, somewhere around in there. My dad, for Christmas, bought me this guitar, this exact guitar. This is not a different guitar. This guitar is ancient of days. Uh, It is... Very badly out of tune. Uh, It has a mix of strings on it for guitar players in the room. You know you typically either do like steel or you do uh, like nylon strings for beginners who don't want to like get huge blisters. I have a few steel ones and a few nylons on here. All right, it's a good mix. Um, This guitar has been through, I don't know how many moves in my lifetime. Uh, It's been through a lot of lot of different closets a lot of different bed spaces hidden underneath the bed Uh, It has been played by every one of my children at this point who have all gone through a little kick where they're like daddy Teach me guitar and I'm like great and about an hour later. They're like never mind. I'm good All right, and so this guitar has been through it, but my dad gave me this guitar I remember the Christmas when I woke up we were living in an apartment building in uh, Wake Forest, North Carolina I came down the stairs of our apartment the, the tree had presents all around it, and there was a guitar case with a big bow on it sitting in the corner with my name on it. And I thought this is the coolest thing ever as a nine-year-old. Uh, my dad played guitar a little bit growing up. He was never just awesome at it, but he was proficient enough to be able to kind of pass some things along to me. And I thought, oh, this is great. I'm going to have something to do with my dad, and, and we're going to just, man, this is going to be awesome. All right, so fast forward. How many years ago was that? Uh, 94 to 2023. So we're at, I don't know, uh, I'm terrible at math right now. Uh, a long time, okay? Uh, I'm 37 now, if that puts things in perspective. It was given to me when I was nine. Um, I know five chords on a guitar. Uh, I know about two strumming, dep- strumming patterns, if it goes beyond that. Sorry, Duncan, that's on you. All right, you're going to have to figure that out. Uh, Gavin asked me to sit down with him the other night and teach him a couple chords, and I was like, yeah, bro, I'll show you the two that I can do still. Uh, and so I don't know really how to play this guitar. Twenty-something years have passed, and I don't really know how to operate this gift that was given to me with the intention of learning and growing it. Now, my dad gave me this guitar, and I'll be honest, of the time that I have owned this guitar, it has sat in this case, the case that it came in, and it has sat in a closet somewhere behind a bunch of clothes or under a bed or in a storage building or somewhere besides in my hand learning how to play it. And I, I wondered this week as I was preparing this message, I was thinking through this idea of like, what is it that God desires out of the things that he gives us? What is it that when God gives us a gift and he says, hey, I'm going to give this to you to do something with, like, what's the desire of God's heart in that? Is it that we, we multiply it? Is it when, when my dad gave me this guitar, was it that I was going to learn how to be a guitar maker and, like, multiply the number of guitars in my home? Like, it was, the, was the idea behind that gift that at 37 years old I wouldn't have just one guitar, but now I've got 40 guitars? That, that wasn't the heartbeat behind that, the The heartbeat behind it was that my dad gave me a gift, and the gift was that I would learn and grow and use this guitar to become something more than what I was when he first gave it to me. To become proficient at playing it and having it sit in a closet somewhere or buried behind some clothes or whatever, that that is not using the gift that my father gave me. And as we look at this parable this morning, what we're going to see is, uh, the, as Jesus is teaching, he says, man, there's this, there's this master who gives some stuff away, and, and we could initially read that at face value, and, and we could get to the end of this parable, and we could go, man, what a, what a jerk of a master. Like He just gave them some money with zero instructions, left, and then came back and judged them with no real detail about why he was judging them, was just like, oh, you made some more, great. Oh, you, you buried it in the backyard, you jerk, all right. And he like gets mad at one guy. And it's like at face value, we look at that and go, man, what a jerk of a master. But when we begin to dive into this and understand like, why was the gift given? And what is the purpose of what God does for us in our lives and the gifts that he gives us? We begin to see something very, very different. Look with me in chapter 25, Let's pick up in verse 14, the parable of the talents. It reads this way. For it will be like a man who goes on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another one uh, he gave one, uh, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. Uh, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground, and here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest." So take the talent from him and give it to the guy who's got ten talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And uh, cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's read over, or pray, excuse me, over the reading of God's word. Jesus, we thank you this morning for the opportunity that we have to study your word, and God, as we apply this parable to our lives and Think through the principles that it teaches. God, I just pray that you would bring it with clarity. And uh, God, that you would take uh, the words of your son Jesus from 2,000 years ago and, uh, and make it, Father, uh, seem real and alive to us in this room this morning. Uh, God, that we would walk out with principles to apply, things that we can live into. Uh, God, that we would serve you and glorify you more every day. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study the pages that are in front of us, Father, for the protection of your word over the course of thousands of years. God, how you have uh, uh, maintained it, God. How you have provided it from generation to generation. And God, here we sit, still learning from your teachings. God, we love you. and We praise you for all that you're going to do this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So in this story, we get really kind of three scenes that we have. There's kind of scene one, which is where the master provides some gifts to his servants and kind of gives them very little direction, right? He's kind of like, hey guys, I'm going on a trip. Here's five, here's two, here's one. See ya, right? And like, he's just out the door. And there's not a ton of information given about where he's going or how long he's gonna be away or what real purpose they have with this money that he's left with them. Uh, and then we get scene two, which is where these servants have to take this money and they have to make a decision, <laughs> right? Like, what am I gonna do with these resources that my master has given me? I'm either gonna do something with them, I'm gonna hide them, I'm gonna keep them safe, or I'm gonna lose them, I'm gonna spend them and whatever. Ever. I'm going to steal them and run away, right? Like they have to make a decision about what they're going to do with these, uh, these resources. And they do something. And then the last scene is this idea of the master returning. He comes back and he says, hey, let's take an account of what you've done. But when we take all three of these scenes together, it points us to one simple understanding. And this is, if you forget everything else I say this morning, this is where I want you to land. God's desire for us is growth and multiplication By his provision through our faithfulness. Okay, I'm going to say that again because that's everything you need to know this morning. I could shut up and sit down right after saying this and some of y'all would be like, great, let's do that. Um, But I'm going to keep going because that's what y'all pay me for. I'm just kidding. All right, so God's desire for us is growth and multiplication by his provision through our faithfulness. His provision, our faithfulness. Let's look at scene one. Let's take this story that we've got and let's begin to dive through this and see how God provided. Let's see how he gives provision. Scene one is really about that. Uh, We read a couple of things. If we were to jump back to verse 14 and just walk through it piece by piece, it says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them what? Money. He entrusted to them some stuff that was like, you know, just out there. No, He entrusted to them His property. What we need to understand about this is like right off the bat, Jesus is teaching. He's like, you need to get something down. All of these resources that you have in your life, the the financial resources, yes, but all of the other blessings along with that, the relationships you have, the the time on this earth, the days and years and months that you will live, uh, the vehicles, the homes, the jobs, the talents, the abilities, everything that you have in this world is God's to begin with. And what we read in this passage is this master pointing to that from the moment one. He's like, hey, let me help you understand something. This is my property, but I'm going to entrust it to you to do something with, and I'm going to leave it in your care and see what happens. And so he takes this property and he splits it up between three guys. And so we need to understand that, man, God splits his resources up to us, His property, the the things that you have, man, it is all God's. And we've talked about that principle, I don't know how many times in the last three or four years, but understanding that every bit of it belongs to God. It is His goods, it is His possessions, not ours. But there's something deeper in this passage, too. If we were to continue to read into verse 15, it says, To one He gave five talents, and to another He gave two, and to another He gave one, to each according to His ability. And then he went away. I want to focus on this idea for just a moment of to each according to his ability. See, God not only provides, and it's not only all his, but he gives to us strategically. See, he knew his his servants. He knew their heart. He knew their ability. These weren't fresh guys to him. These were people that he had done life with for a while. These were men who had served in his home. And so he recognized their abilities and he said, hey, listen, I know you. I know who you are. I know what you're capable of. And so I'm going to give to you according to exactly what you need to be able to be successful the way that I desire you to be successful. So we not only need to understand that God's the owner of all the stuff. We've also got to understand that God has been very strategic, not only with these servants in this story, but to each of us. There's an old phrase that says, God will never give you more than you can handle. Hopefully you have heard that that is a myth and a legend, and it is not biblical in any way, shape, or form, or fashion. That is not in scripture. Nowhere will you find that. In fact, oftentimes in all stories of Scripture, we find over and over and over again that men and women are bombarded with things that are beyond their control and beyond their ability and beyond what they think they can do. And God has to step in in some way to make up the difference in their lives, to give them what they need. And so I wanted to rephrase that this morning as we think about the idea of God being strategic in our lives. It's not that God will never give us more than we can handle, it's that God will give you exactly. Exactly what you need to be able to handle more than you ever thought possible. And so whatever you're facing this morning, understand that God has strategically placed you where you are in this moment with what you have to overcome whatever set of circumstances you face today. So a financial burden that has popped up and you go, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get through this and keep my my finances in order and make ends meet and keep food on the table. Listen, God has strategically placed you in this moment with the resources that you have to be able to accomplish his good purposes in this season of your life. That relationship that has fallen apart, that family member that has distanced, that you're going, man, I want to solve this, and it just seems like the tension between us is just more than I can bear. Listen, God has strategically placed you in this moment, in this time, with these resources. And it's everything you need to handle whatever has come your way. It's not just about God stepping in and solving everything for us. It's about us faithfully walking with him and recognizing that what I have is enough. See, God has uniquely and strategically gifted you for your journey. Every one of us is different. I I sat down uh, with a young couple last night, came down to our house, and we were having dinner, and I was talking with the husband, and uh, we were just chatting through a few things, and uh, and he's got this call on his life, like God's stirring some things in him, and he's like, man, Chris, I'm just not sure, like, where I'm going and what this is going to look like, and I'm like, bro, like, you just need to calm down for a second and, like, just breathe for a minute because you need to understand that wherever God is taking you, he's already prepared the way. You just got to take a step, and, like, you got to be okay with that. And that's going to look different in your life tomorrow and probably going to look different a year from now. And and, and you may end up in some places that you never thought you would end up. But God has prepared that journey for you. You have to be faithful in the steps. That's what stewardship really is. It's being faithful with what God has given us. He's given us the provision. We have to be faithful in the journey. God will give you exactly what you need. He hasn't given you anything flippantly. He didn't give you anything on a whim. He knows you just like this master knew his servants. He knows you. He's equipped you for exactly the task that he has placed you in. That's true for the good times. It's also true for the bad times. Uh, When you face hard times, you're strategically gifted. When you face blessings, you're uniquely gifted for that moment. When things are tight, you're exactly where you need to be. Uh, What you've been given is not the test. The test is what you choose to do with it. God's provision is exactly what you need. Let's keep going though. Scene two, we get, so the master comes and he says, hey guys, I'm headed on this journey and here's some money, here's some money, here's some money and I uh, researched a little bit about this idea of the talent and there's a bunch of different versions of ideas of what a talent really was but essentially what it comes down to is you need to understand that what was given to these men including the servant who only got one was an inordinate amount of money. It was a large sum of, of possessions that was given to these men to be able to do something with. In fact, one Writer says that the, the, the talent could have been the equivalent of 20 years of work experience for a, a, just a hard working like blue collar guy, right? Like the, just that's who you are, right? Like I work 40 hours a week and for 20 years of my life, that's one talent. <laughs> All right. And so even the guy who only got one still got an insane amount of resources that were given to him. The guy who got five got a really insane amount of money that was given to him, but they all received something that was enough to carry them through. When I think about this, and I think about this master going on this journey, and he literally gives no detail. He's like, he went away for a long time. That's all it says. And he doesn't give them a definition this like, like, hey, I'll be back on April 12th, 2027. Like, he doesn't give them that. He's like, hey, here's some money. I got this trip to go on. Good luck. But it's enough resources that even the guy who got one would look at that and go, man, I'm set for life. Check this out. Like, look what this master just gave me. And the amount of comfort that would have come from that, not fear, but, but joy of like, man, like, hey, I, I got resources. I've got what I need. But they had to make a choice in that moment. What am I going to do with all this stuff? What am I going to do with the blessings that have come from my master? What am I going to do with the things that have been given to me? And I want you to hear the decisions that were made. So look with me, if you will. Uh, look at verse sixteen. So the master goes away. Verse sixteen: He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. Now uh, I went and visit. Uh, if many of you guys remember, Nick Dallas, Nick and Lily. Uh, Nick called me the other day and he was like, "Hey, I've got some workout equipment that I want to donate to the church to put in the gym. Would you mind coming and picking it up?" I was like, yeah, no problem. So we drove over there, hanging out with Nick for a little while, and he was like, "Hey, I want you to see something." And I was like, "All right, what you got?" And he's like, "Come upstairs with me." So we go upstairs in his house and we walk into Landon's room, his son's room, and on one wall of Landon's room there are these two display cases that have baseball, football, and basketball cards in them that are all autographed cards. And then he's like, hey, check out underneath this table. And so he pulls up this little like, tablecloth kind of deal, and we look up underneath the table, and he's got stacks and stacks and stacks of just trading cards. And we had this whole conversation of like, hey, is this worth, like, time? Like, how much money have you made off this? Like, is it really worth it to hang on to these? And, like, because I don't know. Like, I had two binders of uh, baseball cards when I was growing up that I gave away when I went off to college because I was like, I don't know what to do with these. I have no idea if they're worth anything. So I literally gave them away. I probably made some kid a millionaire, and I have no idea that I did it, all right? Like, I got no clue. And so I'm talking to Nick, and I'm like, hey, man, walk me through this. Like, have you really made money off of this stuff? And he's like, man, I'll be honest. He was like, some of these trading cards, man, it's different from day to day. And he pulls out one card out of, the, out of the display case, and he goes, you see this card right here? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, hey, like 10 years ago when I got this card, it was worth $6,000. A trading card that he bought from Walmart, worth $6,000. And I said, man, that's awesome. And he goes, yeah, today it's worth about 50 dollars And I was like, what? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, like some stuff happened with this guy. He just hit anyway, whatever the player was. I couldn't even tell you who the guy was that was on the card. But whatever it was, it had completely lost every bit of value that it had. $6,000 to 50. And I went, oh, my gosh, you have you lost money on this deal. And he's like, no, don't get me wrong. I didn't pay $6,000 for the card. I got it through some trading. And so I'm good. Like, I'm not out any money. I'm still going to make 50 bucks off the card, right? And I'm like, man, that's great. But then I thought about this passage, and I go, man, these guys didn't have $6,000. This guy who had five talents, he had literally five times 20 years worth of accumulation. He had 100 years of income in his pocket, and what's he do with it? He goes and starts trading people. What? Huh? No, man, like, you need to go put that in an investment account somewhere. I still know that that's still some trading, all right? I get that concept, but, like, it's a little safer than, like, hey, let's walk up in the marketplace and just start swapping bills back and forth, right? I I don't know what this guy's doing, but he takes literally 100 years worth of income, goes and trades with it, and doubles the income, comes back with 10 years of income. And I, when I think about stewardship, here's what comes to mind when I think about that, and I go, every time we talk about stewardship, normally the conversation that comes out of that is like, let's manage God's resources in a wise and safe way. Let's take care of what God has given us and make sure that when God comes back, we can say, God, we handled your, your, the money that you gave us. We handled it just right. We followed the Proverbs of like what it means to like handle our finances right. And I'm like, this dude didn't do that. <laughs> this dude risked every bit of what the master had given him. It was an unwise choice in the moment for this guy to go, "Man, I got 100 years worth of stuff sitting here. Let's see if I can make it 200." Let's just let's just try and see what happens. And I'm like, that is a very different view of stewardship than what many of us have carried in us because we go, we got to make these wise choices and it's got to be the right choice. And I read this passage and I go, this dude didn't make necessarily a wise choice. He made a God choice in this moment to go, someone blessed me with resources and I'm not going to let it just sit in a closet somewhere and pick up dust, but like, I'm going to do something with it. And I'm going to take a risk in what I'm doing. And this wasn't some insignificant risk. This was everything that this servant had. And it wasn't just him, but the guy with two does the same thing. It says that he goes and he invests it or whatever. He, he does his deal and he comes back with two more. He doubles his money as well. The only guy who doesn't do this is the guy who goes, hey, I've only got one. That's uh, 20 years worth of income for me. You know, I think that it would be best if I just buried it in the backyard because I don't trust the bankers, and I don't trust the people in the marketplace, and I don't trust this person, and man, if I mess this up, like I know that my master is a shrewd man, and he's gonna be angry with me if I mess this up, and so this man allowed the fear of the risk, he allowed the fear of the potential loss to paralyze him from moving forward in anything in his life, and so he sits on this sum of money and does nothing with it, and I wonder sometimes if that's us when we think about stewardship, is it's like we wanna do everything so perfectly. We want to honor God so much and it's good intentions, right? Like it's a good heartbeat of like, I want God to know that like I took care of what he gave me, but we get so ingrained in that, that we get paralyzed and unable to make a decision, unable to risk the things that God has given us to do something really incredible for him. And so we, we end up just burying it in a hole somewhere and never making any progress in our lives, never really seeing anything get duplicated or multiplied through God's provision and our faith. We never see that happen because we're so afraid of losing it. We're afraid we're going to make the wrong choice. We're afraid it's going to fail. We're afraid it's just not going to work. And so we just don't do anything. And we sit there in it. And, and I, I remember this pastor that I used to work with, um, he made a comment to me. I was wrestling with my call a little bit. I was in youth ministry at the time but was looking to maybe do some different things. And, and I sat down with this pastor and I was like, man, I think God's calling me to maybe do something just a little different. But I'm not really sure what that looks like just yet. And, and he asked me this question. He said, Chris, if you could do anything you wanted to tomorrow and money wasn't a problem and you knew you wouldn't fail, what would you go do? And those were the two most challenging questions anyone had ever asked me on the topic of calling because what it forced me to do was go, hey, do I really believe that if I'm doing what God has called me to do, I'm going to succeed? And do I really believe that God is going to provide for every need I would have on the process of that journey? That's really the heartbeat of those two questions. Chris, do you trust that if you're walking in God's will and taking that risk that God will provide? And that God really holds the outcome in His hand and you're going to succeed no matter what. And those questions radically changed the direction of my life. Because where I was going to play it safe... Hey, man, I can just hang out here at this church that's running 1,000 people and growing every week and baptizing people left and right and running a youth program that's tripled size in two years. And, like, I can just hang out here and enjoy this for the rest of my life. And, like, it'll be comfortable and it'll be easy. And, man, like, we described it, like, Lindsay and I, when we talk about that church, we still describe it as an oasis in ministry. Like, we went through some several, like, dry seasons leading up to that. But that time was, like, a good season for us. And it was like we could have stayed there as long as we wanted to. No one was rushing us out. Like, nobody put that on me, but I had to ask the question, like, God, where are you taking me? And when I was pushed back by this pastor, I really had to look at my own faith and go, God's going to provide. The question is, will I be faithful? And so these stewards were given the opportunity to make that same choice. Two of them risked it all. Two of them made what seemed like a very unwise financial decision, and yet God provided, and God blessed them, and God multiplied, and the outcome was great for them. The only one who was unsuccessful in this venture was the one who allowed fear to paralyze them from doing anything. And I have to ask us that question this morning. What are you afraid of? Because we've all got that something. We've all got that stirring of God in our heart where God's going, hey, I want you to go do this. I want you to take this step of faith and we look at that and we start weighing our options and we start putting earthly wisdom into it and we start thinking through all the things that could go wrong and might go wrong and, 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 and just all the possibilities and, and what ifs and all this stuff until eventually we're so overwhelmed by the ifs that we just go, ah, I think I'll just stay right here, God. Thank you, though. What if I get into that and I, I just can't handle it? What if I get into that and and things fall apart? What if I get into that and the money goes away? And uh, man, our budget team, by the way, this year did a great job as we were walking through budget as a church in November. Uh, We had a team of, I don't know how many guys were on that team, but there was two from each service time and the pastors and a couple other people mixed in there, our treasurer and whatnot. And we were walking through budget and and honestly, like Wes and I, who had to lead that conversation, kind of walked in going, okay, guys, like we're going to have to decrease our budget for 2023 uh, because 2022 in October, at least, wasn't looking real super hot for us financially, right? We were kind of looking at it and going, all right, it's a little tight right now. (laughs) All right. And so uh, 2023, we might need to trim the fat a little bit and get rid of some things. And like, I had a full conversation with Wes walking into that budget meeting of like, hey, bro, I need you to be prepared to be like, hey, we need to cut out like 50 grand out of our budget this coming year to make this work. And we walked into that meeting. We sat down with our budget team. That was one of the first things Wes presented of like, hey, here's where we were at for 2022, what we budgeted and what we've brought in. You can see those numbers aren't lining up real well. So like, let's look at 2023 and like how we decrease that. And every single person around that table went, what are you afraid of? Our people will give they'll make it happen. Can I tell you, we finished 2023 beyond our budget. Like we had more money come in in 20, sorry, 2022. We had more money come in by the end of the year in 2022 than what our budget required that year. We were at walking into October and November, or we're really walking into December. We were short about twenty dollars or $30,000. We made it all up in one month. Like God, provides in that and when those people sat around the table in November and went, What are we gonna risk for God this year? Like what's the thing we're gonna do to put it out there and go, God, what do you do with it? And our budget team went, Hey, we need to we need to just Lay it out there. Like, what are we asking God to do? It's not to help us meet a budget. It's to grow God's kingdom here. What's that going to take? Oh, we got to add some money to this budget line item over here. Or, hey, we got to increase this over here. Then let's do it because God's going to provide. We just have to walk in faithfulness. And I was so proud of that team as we sat around those tables because those were people who understood that fear is not something we should operate in as believers. We don't make decisions for God's kingdom based on fear. We make decisions in God's kingdom based on faithfulness and based on His provision and based on what we've seen Him do and what we trust He will do. And man, that budget team put that into practice in my eyes. Man, I watched that play out. And then as soon as we made that decision and the budget was approved in December, and by the end of December, we had made up all that money plus some. And we walked into January, man, in the black and like ready to go for the new year. And I'm like, man, hallelujah, praise God. Like, this is awesome. And I want to ask us the question like that on a church level, but what about you? Like, what are you looking at in your life and going, "Ah, I just don't know, or I'm afraid God's not going to follow up with me or follow through with me. I'm afraid God's not going to provide, and then I want to ask you the question, when has God ever not provided? Think through every story of Scripture you know, Think of every bold step that any person in Scripture has ever made. Think about all the journey you've had in your life and the steps that you've taken, and think about all the moments where God showed up, maybe not in just an overflow of abundance, but at least the need was met in some miraculous way. Why don't we take those steps of faith more often? See, stewardship is just as much a question about fear and risk as it is about wise decisions. There's this moment though that these men, they wrap up their time, they make their five, they make their two, they bury their one, and then the master returns. Pick up with me uh, in verse 18, 19, excuse me, 19. Now, after a long time, we don't know how long, months, days, weeks, years, don't know. But after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with him. Hey, I gave y'all a bunch of money. What'd you do with it? So the guy who had received five, he comes up, he steps up and he says, hey, here's your five and I got you five more. You delivered to me five. Here I've made you five more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The same thing repeats with the second guy. And what I want you to see out of these two men, the five and the two, is this idea that the master was pleased not by the multiplication of what they did, not by necessarily the works of their hands, but of the faithfulness of their hearts. That these men didn't lose anything for their master. It wasn't about whether or not they made or lost. It was about that they did something. In fact, we can see that in the third servant, because the third servant is the only guy who did nothing. He buries the money. Master comes back and says, Give me what's mine. The servant comes out and he says, Hey, I knew that you were a shrewd guy and like you reap where you don't sow and you're kind of a jerk and all these things. And like, so here's your money back and ha, I didn't lose anything. And the master looks at him like, You and literally calls him wicked and slothful. You wicked and lazy bum. I gave you something to do something with in your life and you just sat on it. You just sat on it. You did nothing. And then he looks at this guy and he says, uh, listen, he says, uh, verse 27, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. And some translations that you read will use the term at least. So it's like the master is like, hey, bare minimum here was that you at least could have invested it with the bankers and made a little bit of interest off this thing, but you didn't even do the bare minimum. Like you just sat on it. And what we see in this is it wasn't about the amount because the master would have been perfectly pleased if he had come back and, the, and this guy would have invested it with the bankers and there was a little bit of interest on that. I truly believe that this parable would have been completely different had that happened. Jesus would have been like, yeah, that last guy, he brings the interest and the master goes, hey, great job, man. Like, welcome into the joy of your master. Like, same thing that he told the other guys. Like, wonderful job, you stewarded this well. But because the guy did nothing, there was a problem And so I want to encourage us this morning, it's not about what you're doing or how much you're producing, it's just that you do something. Do something, at least get God some interest in His kingdom. Many of us will walk through our entire lives and really do not a whole lot for God's kingdom. I think about this topic of discipleship that we're about to walk into and I think about what discipleship means, and and I think about the Great Commission where God says, Hey, I need you to go into all the world and make disciples of all. Uh, Teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And lo, I'm with you always until the very end of the age. And uh, man, I think about that Great Commission, and I think about the command that goes out to all of us to go and make disciples. And I go, Man, how many of us honestly do that in the day-to-day? Like truly sitting down with someone and making a disciple. The bare minimum. <laughs> the one command that Jesus gave us at his resurrection. The only thing he left us with. Hey, here's your five talents. Go make disciples. And many of us will walk our entire lives without once sitting down with someone, or we'll go years, weeks, months at a time, never having a gospel conversation with somebody. And a lot of the reasons we'll use are some of the same reasons that these guys, or that the guy with one talent buried his talent. I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I open my mouth about Jesus. I'm afraid I'm going to destroy that relationship that I've worked so hard to build. I'm afraid I might lose my job if I talk about that in the workplace. I'm afraid that, man, people are going to look at me different, or they're going to judge me because they know that I'm not perfect, and so they're going to look at me as a hypocrite. And so rather than moving forward and pushing into what God has left us to do, we step back in fear and idleness in our walk with Jesus. And we're content to just have our own personal Bible study and prayer time, but we never once take that to anybody else. Jesus didn't say, hey, here's my command to you. Go, therefore, into your prayer closet and read Scripture and pray quietly for the rest of your life. He said, go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And lo, I'm with you always into the end of the age. And he didn't say that to a bunch of preachers and pastors. He said that to a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, and just miserable men. what are we stewarding? It's not just finances. It's not just our home or our car or our kids. It's, it's everything. But most importantly, it's the gospel. How have we stewarded that this week? Have we carried it where it needed to go? Did we take the risk? Did we, did we take the thing that God's placed in our heart and go, man, I got to give that away and I got to trade that with somebody and just see what happens? Or did we paralyze ourselves and sit in fear going, I could never be that person. I'm not a public speaker. (laughs) I'm not comfortable doing those things. Yeah, Get comfortable. God's called us to do it. All right, let's keep going. So God, uh, the master returns. He judges these guys, and it just gets crazy. (laughs) The master returns. He says, hey, give me your stuff. The guy with five presents us five. And I want you to hear the phrase that the master gives in this. Look with me at verse 23. This is the, uh, after he's dealt with the guy with five and the guy with two. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. I go back to our original statement that I gave you at the beginning, that stewardship or God's desire for us rather is growth and multiplication by his provision and our faithfulness. What was the, the way that God was going to judge these masters or the master was going to judge these servants? I'll get my words out in a second. What was the way he was going to judge them? Was it based on the income that they made? No. It was based on their faithfulness to take the risk. God will judge us based on that same thing. What will you risk today? As you think through your life this week, as you think about the next seven days of your life, the job that you're going to go to tomorrow, the relationships that you're going to have, the text messages and phone calls that you'll make this week, the children that you're raising and, and uh, discipling in the Lord. As you think through all of those things this week and as we get ready to wrap up our time today, as Duncan and the praise team come back up and lead us in this music, feel free to use my guitar if you want to. It'll be great. Uh, but as he comes back up to lead us in this last song, here's what I want you to be praying through. Out of all the stuff that you could do this week, out of the jobs, the families, the whatever else, all the decisions and things that you've got to do. What is it that God is really asking you to do? Will you be faithful in that through his provision? Or will you allow fear to paralyze you in that and keep you from taking steps forward in your faith? Let me pray for you this morning. And let's sing together. God, thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had to study your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to look at... um, stories that your son taught, God, the, the stories that teach and instruct us. And Father, I pray that at the end of this week that, that I would uh, have the opportunity, Father, just to hear those words in my heart from you of, well done, my good and faithful servant, and enter into the joy of your Lord. And God, I just want to hear those words over and over again. I want to I feel like at the end of every day, God, I have not just made smart choices, but Father, that I have lived faithfully. And sometimes that means taking a risk, that otherwise looks unwise. So God, would you find me faithful this week? Father, would you challenge everyone in this room to live that same lifestyle of God just living every day faithfully? And God, would you find that at the end of this week, the people of the church at West Gant are, are a faithful group of followers? who take risk for your kingdom, who invest and who, who give and God, who just step out in faith in all that they do. God, would we be found at the end of this week going, God, we have we have taken the five that you gave us and we've turned it into ten. God, would you find us as a people, God, who have who have kicked fear to the side and said, God, no matter what it feels like and no matter what the challenge may be and no matter what the tension might be in my heart, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk in this journey. Because see, if this one servant had really understood his master's heart, the heart of provision and the heart of strategically giving to us, God, he would have he would have gladly done what the first two servants did. But Father, he had a misunderstanding of the heart of his master. He saw him as a shrewd and cold man, not as a faithful father and provider. So God, change our hearts in that. Let us see you in the right way this week. And God, let that turn into just faithful steps, action, movement forward in our walk with you whatever that looks like, God. Speak to us clearly in this moment, God, and may we fully surrender to whatever that looks like. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name that we pray, amen.